0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Good evening, everyone. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. tonight we are doing it live.
2: We would like to pay our respects to all elders past, present, and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.
1: Please welcome to the stage your hosts, Millicent Saar and Ellis Dolan! Hello! Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know who those idiots were backstage, but uh, Nowhere near as good as last week. have week's. their microphone privileges stripped from them. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been really exciting getting to do some live shows. Thank you so much for, you know, trying out this new format with us. It's really cool to have you here.
2: Uh, please uh, feel free to take pictures and post them all over your socials and also heckle us. Uh, any Anything that you say that's, like, funny or entertaining will make it onto the podcast. If you're funnier than me, I might cry, but that makes for good listening, so...
1: Um, So, you would have received on your way in this evening a lovely bingo card. Uh, We encourage you to play along as the uh, show progresses. We've chucked on there a bunch of the tropes and the catchphrases and some of the key topics that we think are going to come up tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, If you win bingo, if you get uh, four horizontal, four vertical or four diagonal, um, please give us your best bingo uh, let's give it a crack right now. One, two, three. Bingo! You guys are great. Um, I, I ask that you you know project and, and you do it nice and loudly because last week uh, there was an incident where uh, my boyfriend was uh, first runner-up of Bingo and uh, I mistook him for Luke. Bingo. <laughs> it, was, um, <laughs> it was very embarrassing. Um, so yeah, if you can uh, make yourself known loud and clear so that I don't accidentally um mistake you for somebody else that'd be great <laughs> if you do win bingo this evening you have up for grabs this fabulous friends puzzle round of applause for the puzzle everyone Ooh. look at that very excited it's very coveted gift
2: One thousand pieces of fun
1: absolutely so those of you who are astute who are you know regular listeners of the podcast will notice that we haven't had our theme song yet um, so we're going to do that live. Uh, but what we normally do is we get whoever our guest is, if we have a guest, to say the catchphrase of our podcast, which is... It's, it's
2: a, a feminist, feminist podcast.
1: podcast. Um, because we like people to know from the get-go that if they're taking our title literally, that they shouldn't.
2: We, we had a couple of men rights activists comment on some of our ads in the last week. And one of them uh, thought that we were like deliberately luring people in with the truth, in conver- uh, quotations, that feminism does ruin everything. And then, wah, we whip it out from under them that it's actually a feminist podcast. mwa ha ha ha
1: Direct quote. Direct quote with the mwa-ha. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, no, we just directed him to, um, to our catchphrase <laughs> to, uh, to clear up any confusion. So, this evening, you are going to say our catchphrase... Uh, On three. Should we try it? One, two, three. It's a feminist podcast.
2: Oh, very nice. Stunning. Stunning. Wonderful.
1: You'll know when to do it. You've got a good ear, I can tell. All right. Are we ready? Yeah. All
3: right. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Gorgeous! Beautiful.
1: If you had audience participation on your bingo card, you can check that one right off. Speaking of which, uh, two two important uh, bingo features that we also want to draw your attention to. Firstly, uh, if Luke says something over the loudspeaker, um, you will get to give a big mm-hmm. old tick um, on there some of your cards. Oh, uh, sorry,
2: uh, the wonderful Luke Bartholomew on lights, sound, and timekeeping for us yeah. tonight. Thank you so much, Luke. Hello. Yes.
1: Luke, who's also um, let you know, uh, giving you some reviews of the other shows in the, <laughs> in the festival. Thank you, Luke, for He's that. You've seen
2: them all.
1: Mm. Uh, Luke's other important role this evening, in addition to being lighting, sound and a bingo square, is that he is going to give us a 10-minute warning when we have to kind of wrap things up because because we've completed our time slot. Uh, so when we do have a 10-minute warmi- warning, it's going to look something like this nice and subtle that's wonderful
2: audio content as well
1: absolutely it's got Great. A, i
2: had a sound effect that i forgot to prep <laughs> it's all right you're very busy uh, let's do uh, it's it's an audio format so please like by by whooping and hollering and making some sort of noise who here is a fan of the television sensation
1: friends Woo-hoo! Good to know. Um, who here is a fan of uh, acclaimed feminist podcast, Feminism Ruins Everything? Woo! Stop it. Who
2: guys. here is a fan of feminism in general? Woo!
1: Who here should be at a Halloween party this evening that they're blowing off?
2: Aw, thanks. I who, who here thinks that friends is fine, feminism is fine, but your evening's kind of been marred by all this incessant poll-taking? <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep <laughs> cut. That's a
1: Thanks for getting that. Um, we also want to gauge a bit of a sense in the room about your uh, your opinion on certain uh, characters in this show. So uh, you don't have to pick just one, but just give us a woo that is uh, proportionate to how much you appreciate these certain characters. Uh, do we have any fans of Chandler being in the house? Woo!
2: Oh, nice. Uh, what about uh, Phoebe Buffay?
1: my girl uh anyone a fan of joey Triani?
2: what about monica geller
1: love that who are we missing
2: uh, ross geller and lucky last rachel green
1: Woo! all right okay all right. Uh,
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of characters. And I, I think that's one of the things that kind of captivated people about Friends mm-hmm. when it came out in 1994. It ran for 236 episodes okay. across 10 years. In preparation for tonight, I watched them all. <laughs> that was a lot of Friends.
1: Ellis is more dedicated than, than I was. <laughs> um, although, as a long-time fan, I do have to say these episodes are like imprinted on my brain, so... So what? What's your I'm history with prepped. friends? Should we, should we take a oh, seat? Oh, we should take a seat. We else. should. Yeah, let's be civil Ooh. about it. Um, are comfy. So, my history of friends goes back to about two thousand and four, when uh, my family were living in Sweden. Um, hi, family down here. Um, were you in France?
0: <gasps>
2: <laughs> uh, objection, leading the witness. <laughs>
1: Uh, so my relationship with this show goes back to 2004. My family were living in Sweden. I was a, a mere 10 years old at the time, and I, I think it was probably like the lead up to the finale. So whatever the main TV station was that we um, that we got uh, just had all these replays of of Common Friends episodes, and so we have these VHS tapes that um, we have recorded a bunch of Friends episodes on and they all have like Swedish subtitles which is which is fun Um, but also I think that it was either like a family-friendly like TV station or maybe they were just pressed for time because there are a bunch of jokes and like punchlines and even storylines that are like cut from these episodes that we have recorded because like I watched them a bunch of times and now when I go back and like watch it on Netflix I was like that scene wasn't there before this is new to me. I I
2: also grew up watching Friends. Uh, Friends was one of the big things that was on when I moved across uh, from Scotland to Australia, and at some point in my my youth, this is like I'm not genuinely not making this up. Um, at some point, I went, you know what? I think Chandler Bing is who I would like to model my entire personality around, <laughs> and now I legitimately can't do anything without responding sarcastically first. I like like. I'm, 100% genuine if you like traced me growing up you'd be like yeah he's just mirroring Chandler it's mm. really
1: weird I'm so, so glad you didn't pick Ross <laughs> <laughs> I we'll, don't think we'd be friends <laughs> we,
2: we'll get to him later we
1: will we will <laughs> so um, as I'm sure you can all imagine we've got quite a few fr- Critiques is the word that was about to come out of my mouth. We've got quite a few critiques um, of Friends this evening. Um, Obviously, for something that came out in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, time has changed. Our, our modern values don't necessarily align with what was uh, more acceptable back then. And so retrospectively, there are definitely going to be some things that we are going to pick apart and have um, some not quite favorable things to say. So we thought we would start by with some of the positives, like some mm. of the positive feminist values that, um, that we can trace across this series.
2: And I think uh, I think it, it's surprise. It was surprising to me rewatching it. It actually sets up some of these things in the very first episode, the pilot, to kind of lay the groundwork for everything that comes uh, before it. Uh, so rewatching the pilot, it's actually the story of uh, two women, uh, specifically Monica and Rachel, and how they're living their lives. Rachel starts the show by going, actually, I don't want to get married. I don't want to rely on my family's money anymore. I want to go and make something of myself and be somebody that I can be proud of. And she sets herself off in this huge trajectory with her career mm. and living in a new city. It's, it's really quite empowering to watch her journey throughout that episode and the whole series.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, I think something that we see a lot also in the pilot is um, a level of sex positivity as well and the fact that I think in the pilot um, Monica is talking about the idea of having sex with somebody on the first date and that isn't cut down with slut shaming that isn't frowned upon it's just kind of discussed in in a neutral way and I think that really sets up a lot of sex positivity that we see across all 10 seasons
2: Mm. and all all three women are very sex positive they have very uh, healthy sex lives for the most part there are also some instances where episodes focus on specifically female pleasure Mm. in sex if anybody hasn't seen the the seven 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 scene go check it out on youtube still holds up
1: (laughs) 100 um and i think yeah we also see these these three women um who make up 50% 50% of the, the core ensemble cast, who are all very clearly defined, very um, three-dimensional, well-written characters. Um, you never really get a sense that anyone amongst the, the six core friends is um, has their story focused on more than anybody else. And so I think we see um, quite a bit of Gender parity, at least in in screen time, and at least in the the stories that are focused on and given weight to, I think that's pretty. Um pretty evenly split down the middle between the the men and women in the cast.
2: Uh, Spoiler for something we usually save to the end of the show, Friends passes the Bechdel test by having three uh, predominant female characters who are constantly kind of interacting with each other. They they talk about relationships a lot because it's a sitcom, uh, but they also have conversations that don't revolve around the men in their lives, which is Mm. really cool.
1: Amazing. Something else that I think is really sick about Friends uh, and that I think to me is definitely one of... um, one of its highlights, is the fact that it spawned so many excellent tunes. Like, there are some absolute bops. Bingo! Uh, Already?! (laughs) Um, Hello, uh, our bingo winner, please, please join us. Come forward and and accept your your gift.
2: That must be a record of some kind.
1: Dylan Rufus, congratulations, my friend! Congratulations, singular, (laughs) multiple (laughs) congratulations to you. A thousand
2: congratulations, one for each piece of the puzzle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Big Big round of applause, applause Dylan Rufus, everybody, our bingo winner. Congratulations, Dylan.
2: Keep keep going. There's a second and third prize. Oh, okay. In in that case, can we get like a reasonable round of applause for second place? Like, well done,
0: well done. Um,
1: done. Please Please know that um, the the rounds of applause are going to get considerably like more lukewarm the further (laughs) along the chain you get. Like third runner up, you're in for a very half-hearted applause. I mean, please keep playing. If
2: if (laughs) things are a bit lukewarm, maybe he should turn up the air conditioning.
1: If you needed, if you needed, Ellis makes a terrible pun for your bingo. (laughs) Like you're you're in luck, friends. You're
2: welcome. What were we talking about?
1: We were talking about how some of the songs in Friends um, are absolute bops. And um, I don't know, uh, for those of you who are also children of the 90s, um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to classify myself as that because I was literally five years old when the 90s finished. Um, But I try to make up for it with my excellent denim. Um, (laughs) This song in particular um, really pulls at my heartstrings. Oh, it's emotional. Um, You know, I think that. We can all agree that, you know, it's, it's a timeless, timeless musical work. Uh, it absolutely, um, you know, speaks about the experience of being marginalised and, um, you know, cast aside for being who you truly are. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, that really says something. It's a, it's a, it's a timeless message.
2: Sorry, I'm just getting, getting worked up just thinking about it.
1: Um, if you've got your lighters this evening, folks, or your, or your, or your phones... With lights on them and you wanna give us a little bit of a emotive wave, please do. If you wanna sing along, if this song also, you know, brings a tear you to your eye too, join us. Smelly cat, smelly cat. Whoa.
3: don't take you to the love vets the
1: lighters They are obviously not their favorite pets.
3: You're not a bed of roses
1: No friend to people with noses Everybody! Smelly, smelly
3: cat, smell. smelly cat What are they feeding you? Smelly cat, smelly Gas. It's not your fault One more time Smelly gas
1: harmony there that was uh, a beautiful spontaneous <laughs> moment of musicality
2: Fee, Phoebe Buffet, poet of our time
1: absolutely <laughs> the voice of a generation
0: <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online
2: So that's that's a very brief overview of some of the positive things that we, we uh, got from Friends. Obviously, like, 236 episodes. There's no way we can cover absolutely everything now. So let's just dive into some criticisms. Mm.
1: Please note that at some point, we are absolutely going to do a follow-up episode where we get to all of the content and the themes and the feminist issues that we don't cover this evening. Uh, so, if you are if you are bursting to hear us talk about something, please uh, please listen out for a future episode on Friends. Uh, but for tonight, to keep it concise, we're going to talk about three or four things in particular that that stand out to us across the series.
2: So, uh, there are six members of the Friends main cast, three women three men let's talk about some toxic masculinity absolutely
1: let us wow there's a lot of it (laughs) um some of the some of the key um points that stand out to me are um, the fact that there is a circumstance where uh, Ross's son Ben has been um, staying with Carolyn Susan who, are, who they co-parent with mm-hmm. and uh, has chosen a Barbie as his like toy of choice and Ross cannot handle it. Um, like, cont- like, continually tries to give him other options to play with, like, oh, try this G.I. Joe, try this truck, try all these, quote-unquote, manly boy toys.
2: Just can't get around the fact that his boy wants to play with a Barbie, and that's fine. Like, that's t- a totally fine thing to do. But apparently it was not only like to be criticised for, for boys to play with Barbies, but also apparently hilarious mm. that Ben would even consider it in the first place. Yeah.
1: I think that... Um, not only are the the themes and the um the viewpoints and the perspectives of the characters something that kind of fuels these antiquated values and these um These old fashioned ideas of masculinity, but it's also um, the way that it's edited, and the fact that, like, where they have where they choose to have the canned laughter, you know, it's like, oh, yes, Ben has chosen a Barbie raucous, raucous (laughs) laughter (laughs) and applause. And so, I think that it's not just um, the writing, but also the editing and the way that they've set up some of the themes Mm -hmm. that kind of um, gives you the impression of what they want you to take away from um, the, the themes that are being presented and and there's this weird
2: kind of disconnect between uh between a lot of things obviously these are these people are friends they're really close and you get to see them share kind of deep personal moments with each other but then we have a whole episode where Ross and Joey are terrified of the fact that they had a nap together mm. and y- yeah exa- exactly a hysterical premise mm.
1: um and what um i find frustrating is that um it's it's across the board like all of the characters are people who are, are pushing these um, kind of gendered uh, views of people like the, and their um, reactions to the circumstances. Like, for example, there is an episode where Joey is dating somebody and she just punches him. That's, <laughs> uh, a, that's her
2: gimmick. She just punches him a lot.
1: Yeah, that's her thing. And um, all of them, like men and women alike, are uh, making fun of him for the fact that he's being beat up by a girl. And I think that it's it kind of demonstrates that it's not you know it's not a purely male issue toxic masculinity like it's a to- it's a cultural thing that um, everyone regardless of gender can can contribute to, but also can dismantle the,
2: there are There are a lot of comments from the women about the the masculinity of the men. Like there's a moment where where they're getting like their their tea spots done to to get ke- get like a younger looking skin, and Monica <laughs> <That> really
1: <laughs> rings of somebody who has never used skincare <laughs> before. <laughs> Ellis told it. They're doing the, t- the tea spots well, the tea sp- with I, the don't skin. I don't know what it is. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: They're giving themselves like at home facials. Yes, yeah. thank <laughs>
2: you, thank you for putting that in a, in a very cromulent way. Um, but uh, but then Monica is just like, well, I'll leave you ladies alone, and it's like, well. I don't think the show is, like, maliciously saying anything about masculinity Mm. overall. There are, like, individual episodes that I think uh, highlight some of these toxic traits specifically. But I think the insidious thing about it is that it's all these little quips Mm. that kind of come in out of nowhere and are just, like, one-liners, everybody laughs, and then they move on. Mm. And that, over time, just kind of wears you down.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it... It's really overt in it, but it's kind of packaged up in there and it's and it's subtle, which you're right, I think is potentially even more insidious because it's packaged as humor
2: and you could you could make the argument that it's part of partially the product of its time uh, but also like we should be aware that like this uh, is a show that was created by uh, David Crane and Marta Kaufman, so it's a male female creative team so you would like hope that maybe having uh, less of a masculine a dominant voice leading into the show, you would have more of an understanding about some of these things, but I guess not in mm. the 90s.
1: Yeah, and it's it's frustrating knowing that um, a lot of people, like in our generation, and also like a little bit older, maybe even a little bit younger, um, kind of grew up adoring this series and have probably very much internalised some of the, the views about what it is to be masculine, what it is to be feminine, and how one of those is lesser if you're subscribing to the toxic masculinity that is threaded throughout the 10 series.
2: And then we get into the way that the men treat women, which when one of your main characters is Joey Tribbiani, is quite not good.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a real um, sense of womanising there constantly. Mm, Yeah, what what does your mug say, Ellis? (laughs) Uh,
2: This mug was given to me by my very dear friend, Brent Hill, and it says, how you doing? Which was a catchphrase that people, uh, one, like, obsessed over and would, like, genuinely use, uh, which is, like, three words for objectifying women, and I drink from it every day.
1: (laughs) (sighs) So, um... Moving away from the, the toxic masculinity and the and the views of women, I want to talk about um, another very problematic thread throughout this series, which is um, very prominent. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you say Ross? <laughs> we're getting to that. You've uh, got no, to we're, we're you gotta, we are you building build up, up to that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you'll be getting a rant from me, so like, rest assured. <laughs> Uh, something else that I think is is very prominent and um, very problematic and another one of those things that we all grew up kind of um, in- internalising and believing because it was in this series is the very um, fat-phobic um, views and the um, portrayal of, quote-unquote, fat Monica um, in her, uh, like, high school years. Yep. Uh, so we see throughout the series, like, a lot of flashbacks like friends friends are awesome at the the flashback episodes um, the the home videos and stuff um, which I, I think are a really cool narrative device like I always have really enjoyed the the flashback episodes uh, but something that we see consistently throughout those is that you see that when she was in high school high school um, Monica was a fat woman. Well, oh,
2: oh, sorry, Monica was Fran's version of what mm. an overweight person looked like. She had a r- like a relatively normal body type, but compared to your stick figure, uh, Courtney Cox mm. in in the present day, um, looks a bit bigger. And apparently that's hysterical. Again, Fat Monica appears on screen. That's what they refer to her as as well. Uh, She appears on screen. Canned laughter goes off Mm -hmm. every single time. Multiple episodes of Friends end with uh, Courtney Cox in the fat suit just dancing. Mm. And apparently that's funny.
1: Yeah, And I suppose what really bugs me about this storyline is the fact that it seems as if Monica's life starts and is quote-unquote like worth something once she is living in a thin body mm. and that is just so problematic to me that I can't even <laughs> <laughs> put into words <laughs> how much I hate it. Uh,
2: it, it it's not just uh, Monica that's kind of affected by the body issues there are a number of episodes about uh, Chandler being supposedly overweight uh, and uh, very cursory research. Uh, Matthew Perry, who played Chandler, was going through uh, like cocaine addiction at the time and had a lot of body issues. And so for this very, very unhealthily skinny man to be kind of there going, oh, you've just got to lose a couple more pounds. It's just, oh, it's, I, I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think that's really insidious for, for anybody to be watching somebody who was as unhealthily skinny as as Matthew Perry was at the time, being told that he's too fat. It's like, oh, it's Jan from Grease all over again.
1: Oh, oh she's not even fat. She's not. Uh, it's if awful. If you want to hear us rant about <laughs> that, go back and find our Grease episode because there's a whole uh, there's a whole sub-discussion there. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I am disappointed and, and frustrated and kind of mourn for um, people who have grown up watching these series, seeing how Monica is so much more... Respected and um, and appreciated by the people around her um, when she's not living in a fat body, and um, yeah, I think that's such a dangerous thing for us to internalize.
2: Uh, it also kind of comes to a head when they do. Uh, not only do they do flashback episodes, but they did one kind of like fantasy episode where all the characters are like, what if this had happened? What if that had happened? And Monica's was, what if she didn't lose the weight? And it turns out that she ends up in a very boring, unfulfilling relationship. She's still a virgin. Nobody really wants anything to do with her in that regard. And to see somebody uh, as sexually positive as Monica is in, in the kind of normal stream, like, kind of put down in that way simply because of the way her body is, mm. is really harmful.
1: Yeah, and what message is that sending to people who are watching it who live in bigger bodies about, you know, um, their their desirability, their worth. Like, it's, it's trash. It's trash. Trash.
2: Speaking of things that haven't aged well... Uh, <laughs> how <laughs> much really. time do we have, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> um so, the queer representation in... Infra- oh, yeah, I, Oh, that's, that's the most visceral reaction we've gotten from you so far. Uh, so, I'm going to start by trying to squeeze a silver lining <laughs> out of the queer representation. Because, uh, you, because I believe there is very vaguely one there. And then we'll get into what's actually there. Um, <laughs> So from uh, the very first episode, it's established that Ross's ex-wife uh, Carol discovers that she is a lesbian, and that leads to their divorce. And her and her partner Susan are kind of recurring characters all the way through.
1: And I would just as a as a footnote there would probably suggest that that's almost a little um, potentially a, a moment of bi erasure because you know you see somebody yeah. who has been married yeah. to a man has like had a sexual partner who was a man in Ross Mm -hmm. and then um, has a sexual partner who was a woman. Um, And there's also a moment, like, in the flashbacks where Ross is, like, talking about Susan and he's talking about how she's on multiple sport teams. Like, she's on the lacrosse team and the other sporting team that I can't remember. She plays for both teams! And so that gives me, like, real bisexual vibes and the fact that from there onwards now that she's with a woman she's only referred to as a lesbian I yeah. think is uh, sad because I think she might actually be bi
2: I, I, think, I think you're true I just don't think they had the the, the nuance or they wanted to consider the no. nuance of that possibility okay, because they wanted to
1: be nuanced about <laughs> the queer <laughs> representation they did a really shoddy job of it they really um, did sorry Ellis you're, you're silver lining sir
2: they are in some ways, the punchline of a lot of jokes, because mm. there's a lot of Ross, you married a lesbian jokes, yeah. in quotations. However, their relationship is actually portrayed as quite uh, quite a normal thing in some ways. It's one of the most healthy relationships yeah. that we see in the show throughout. And they held uh, a wedding. They got married on the show in the second season, so this would have been like 95, 96, long before... Uh, queer marriage was a thing in New York or America or anything like that and the uh, the person who portrayed the minister of the wedding was an uh, LGBTQIA plus uh, advocate uh, or, or, or activist. Um, and so that kind of tells me that they were at least trying to be open to the idea of same sex couples and normalizing it, but I I'm also really stretching because <laughs> um, Chandler's father exists within the scope of the show.
1: Mm. What, what I find um, kind of inconsistent about the way that queerness is represented across the board is the fact that to have a um, a, a marriage, a wedding screened between a same-sex couple was, for the time quite unheard of, like quite progressive. I think that we read that it was only the second um, marriage yeah. between two women on US, US sitcom. Is that right?
2: Uh, Ro- Roseanne had a queer wedding before, but the Friends wedding was definitely one of... That and Roseanne were like one of the first kind of portrayed in, in mainstream media, mm. I believe. I'm getting that from Wikipedia, so it could be really wrong.
1: <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, we should put on the bingo squares. It's not ar- on there this time, but... Um, we should have mim and ellis cite wikipedia as their source <laughs> <laughs> for something. we learned
2: nothing from university
1: <laughs> i think that the um the thing that's inconsistent to me is the fact that the friends creators and the writers have gone we're going to do something quite progressive for this time we're going to show a same-sex wedding and that's 100% a political move when you're going against the status quo and what is even legal um, in the jurisdiction that you're in. Um, it's it's a political move to um, show like overt and celebrate queerness in that way.
2: And, and also on one of the biggest television shows at the time and possibly ever like i can't fathom how big friends actually was mm. at the time that it was airing
1: yeah but what is so inconsistent to me is the fact that um there are so many homophobic and queerphobic um storylines quips um sentiments scattered throughout the 10 other seasons um and in in my mind i feel like um discrimination is is a hierarchy right so Mm. there are like low levels of like microaggressions that you experience in in everyday life that are um, like kind of at a lower level but because they are normalized and because they're accepted that leads to uh, more significant substantial violent acts of discrimination being acceptable and allowed and I feel as if um, you know things like um, whether or not Chandler is gay is the, the punchline of a joke, or Chandler being mistaken for being a gay man is a punchline, uh, and the fact that you see a very offensive representation of transness in in Chandler's parent. Um, I think that all of the all of those things add up to um, denigrating queerness to a point that means that. Um, it's widely accepted that people belonging to the queer community shouldn't have the right to be married. So it's like by by upholding um, these negative stereotypes um, about queerness through the other storylines that you see throughout the ten seasons, you're contributing to the public view that queer people shouldn't be allowed to be married. So I find it I find it inconsistent that um, they they demonstrated a queer wedding while still upholding the the values and the views that. Stopped queer people from being able to be married for so long
2: and and also particularly when like as, as you said when they depict it in such a harmful way as uh, I'm going to use the phrase Chandler's father because that's how they refer to, to that character in the show uh, but it, it has come out uh, Marta Kaufman came out and said that one of the things that she regrets about her time at Friends was the way that they portrayed that character mm-hmm. citing that they potentially didn't have they didn't have the knowledge at the time to present um, that experience, um, and and it and it ended up coming off as offensive. And so she did apologize for that, but that still doesn't change the fact that she uh, she and and the creators of Friends kind of perpetrated this very harmful mm-hmm. view of of. Uh, the trans community, yeah. So uh, if anyone and, and utilized it as a punchline.
1: Yeah. So if anyone isn't familiar with this storyline and with this character, essentially what happens is you um, you see throughout all these flashbacks, and because Chandler refers to it all the time as like a source of trauma for him, Chandler's got to go to therapy. Honestly, like Ross
2: needs to go to therapy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all need therapy. <laughs> uh, Yeah, you see um, Chandler refer to the fact that his father fell in love with their butler when he was a kid and they, like, ran off together and that was the source of um, his parents' divorce and he's had a very stilted relationship with his father since. Uh, And you um, get the picture that his father is either trans or a drag queen it's a little bit murky because again I don't think um, around the time that it was aired um, the creators cared to have the nuance Mm. for um, the the language around um, transness Uh,
2: they constantly refer to Chandler's father as a man Chandler always calls calls them dad Uh, but they present as a woman and are portrayed by a cisgendered woman Mm. uh in a very deliberate bit of casting uh, to kind of highlight the strangeness in quotation marks of of the situation
1: yeah so all in all uh the the trans representation on this show is not good (laughs) and um i would imagine really contributed to um consistently transphobic um sentiments being held Uh, in mainstream society around the time that it was aired. Which is sad. But
2: at the very least, the cast was really racially diverse. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, what? Oh. Oh. No. For for those of you who don't get the joke, um, they were all white. That was the whitest New York City I have ever seen. Like it is a hot. Like I'm going to say about 98% white. Uh, there, there were. Uh, I could be wrong, as I often am. Uh, there were two love interests, uh, both of them for Ross, portrayed by women of color. It was Lauren Tom as Julie in the first season, and uh, Aisha Tyler as Charlie in seasons nine and ten. Both of them incredible actors. Both of them do a really great job. Every other person of the week. Is white. Every major side character is white. All six of our main cast is really, really white. To the point where uh, when Friends was being aired, Whose Line Is It Anyway was like on a competing channel, and Wayne Brady, one of the contestants on there, would constantly make jokes about the fact that there was nobody who looked like him on Friends, the biggest show Mm. on television at that time.
1: Which is fun because. Well, it's it's not fun that there was <laughs> bad representation of people of colour, but just a fun link is the fact that Asia Tyler um, then uh, went on to be a host of Whose Line Is It Anyway. That's true. Ah. Yeah. Ah, it all comes full circle. We love it.
2: And I mean, I mean, that's the thing. These people <laughs> came into everybody's houses like once a week for ten years. That you really got to know them and and like your friends in real life, I feel like if we could step in and say, hey, this relationship doesn't really look terribly healthy, that maybe we would have said something to Rachel about Ross.
1: The time has come, friends. We, we've held this off for too long. Mm. So, Ross and Rachel. It's
3: f- We were on a break. Fucked, oh. right?
1: <laughs> it's a little
2: bit shit um ross and rachel ross and rachel that phrase is synonymous with very important and romantic r- romance plot line
1: he's her lobster
2: he's her lobster they get together she got off the plane at the end that the whole finale revolved around whether they got to get of course they were going to get together mm. but the whole thing
1: and even like all throughout the series everyone's like but you're ross and rachel it's like, this was touted as one of the the biggest kind of, um, it, this was kind of held up as one of the most important, significant um, romantic partnerings in, in pop culture, in one of the most successful TV series of all time. And the relationship is toxic as fuck. We were on a break. Oh, fuck. L- let's start
2: out with... W- when they, they broke up in... Uh, they got together in season two. They broke up in season three. And part of the reason that they broke up in season three was that Ross wasn't happy that Rachel was spending a lot of her time with her new career. She'd finally gotten a job in the fashion industry, which was her dream, her passion. And she was spending a lot of time at the office because, you know, you have to put a lot of hours in, especially if you're starting a job. Mm. And he didn't like that the job was getting more of her attention than he was.
1: Mm. And... There are so many toxic aspects to the way in which he views this. Like, um, she says something to the effect of, like, I appreciate this is, this is my thing. This is wholly for me. You're not a part of it. And he can't handle being, not being a part of one aspect of her life, which is kind of a healthy way to have a relationship, mm. to not be in one another's pockets all the time. Um, but also the fact that she is friends friends platonic friends with co-worker mark and his jealous streak is so problematic like he cannot accept the fact that there is nothing romantic and no sort of um romantic threat there and it's such a problem. He, like,
2: comes to work with a picnic and he's trying to play it off as, like, I'm being romantic and I'm coming to mm. you so that we can spend time together. And she's set boundaries and said, I, I need this time to work. There's a lot going on. Can you please wait a little bit? And Ross can't do that.
1: Ross Geller, king of not respecting people's boundaries.
2: And then he sleeps with somebody else and tries to cover it up.
1: Mm. Which,
2: um, not, not good. They, let's face it, they... W- oh, no, were they on a break? No, what, what side am I on here? <laughs> they weren't on a break?
1: You were... When we were discussing <laughs> this earlier... Oh, uh, no, th- th- that's you right. You were advocating that he hadn't actually cheated. Yes. <laughs> Do you still want to go ahead with that <laughs> point of view, Ellis? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now that there's a paying audience...
1: Um, I we will gang up against
2: you. I, so, so I am of the opinion that... Uh, Even though it's a little bit shitty, the fact that there was this kind of understanding that maybe they they weren't gonna be together anymore when he had sex with the copy girl, technically maybe that wasn't cheating. It might not be respectful Mm. to the partner that you supposedly love to instantly go and sleep with somebody else, but technically that I'm like, okay, I can understand how you got there. I don't understand the frantic kind of, I'm trying to cover it up and make sure that Rachel never finds out about it so that we can continue this. Instead of being honest about what happened, because mm. like, the possibility is that you could be honest about it and you work through it and, and develop this healthy relationship, which they never really quite have.
1: No. Um, I am very much of the view that like, there's communication issues around what is acceptable um, and what the break entails etc like i think that's kind of a there's fault on both sides there but also i think that even if you do have a clean break with somebody and you go yes we're broken up this is the end of our relationship that it's um i think it's telling of the respect that you have for the person you've just ended a relationship with if your immediate like next step like the night of um, next thing that you do is go and have sex with somebody else. Like, I I think that that's reprehensible in any circumstance. Um, but I don't know where I was going with this sentence. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's not so fun when it happens, is it? It, especially when they're <laughs> looking at you with their eyes. <laughs> oh, there's so many of them. So that happens. That happens, and then they somehow move past it, and it's awkward for a little bit, and then he says her name at his other wedding and and whatever. But then...
1: Just, like, don't date Ross. (laughs) That's the the takeaway. (laughs) Don't date and or marry Ross.
2: Because that's what happens. They get married drunkenly in Vegas, and Ross... Instead of (laughs)
1: not respecting other people's boundaries.
2: Being told please go and sort the divorce out because obviously this can't happen he went no and then again didn't tell her that they were still legally married, mm. while also trying to coerce, kind of coerce her into, like, living with him and maybe starting something up again to the point where, it, like, somebody points out, and it's like, wh- what did you hope that, that she'd fall in love with you? And she'd go, well, we should get married. And he'd go, surprise! <laughs> we already are.
1: Yeah. You know, that's how I like to start relationships. I like to uh, you know, accidentally marry someone, tell them I'm going to divorce them, not do that, and then manipulate them into falling in love with me, so that we're already conveniently married. Like it's that works. sounds like a like a healthy formula. <laughs> it's worked
2: very me. well for me in the past.
1: <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so I think that um, this this all culminates in the in the finale of. The, mm-hmm. the ten seasons when Ross and Rachel have had this on-again, off-again thing. Like, they they have been accidentally married. They have a child together. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a phrase I've ever used. <laughs>
2: when <laughs> when you break married. it down, it's, it's kind of ludicrous. Mm.
1: Uh, and they have this... Um, th- th- I guess there's an understanding and there's a sense among this friendship group that... Um, they're going to end up together because he's her lobster. (gasps) That is a 10-minute warning mark, friends. Uh, So, what we see in, like, the greatest love story of pop culture in the 90s and early 2000s, what we see is Rachel, who has gone from, you know, leaving her other fiancé at the altar building herself up from nothing, going through this hospitality and then finding this passion in fashion and rising to the top and really succeeding and pursuing a career that she is actually passionate about and getting a job in freaking Paris to then turn around and go, Oh, that douche who cheated on me who didn't divorce me when i asked him to who's always had jealousy issues and boundary issues yeah i'm actually gonna not pursue that career defining dream in paris i'm actually gonna get off the plane and go back to him and that's trash (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was exhausting (laughs) but also like And at
2: no point does Ross go when he's like, I want to be with Rachel finally. Uh, At no point does he go, oh, I could go to Paris. (laughs) He's like, no, 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 she needs to stay here. And it's it's so one-sided. It's so toxic and so unhealthy. And, And it's also kind of like maddening that that this is the relationship that's that's heralded from mm. the show. When you have Chandler and Monica right there actually being like a relatively healthy couple who are helping each other grow and communicating and starting a family. And, th- like and I working I, through infertility issues. Yeah. I, Wholesome. Oh, yeah, we don't even have time to talk about the fact that the, it, it addresses like infertility issues. When, when do you see that in media, like handled in a, a relatively healthy and respectful way mm. no we just have to focus on Ross and Rachel for the 70 millionth time yeah.
1: and like when I was growing up watching this and like I was like a kid and a teenager like I was obsessed with Ross and Rachel like I was so invested in their relationship and like kind of held it up as the gold standard of, of romance and, uh, and a loving relationship and retrospectively that's messed up
2: like Even when I watched the finale uh, for this, even though, like having all of these feelings and emotions about them as a couple, it, I think it's a testament to, to both the, the writing and the acting that I was actually quite moved when they did mm. get together, even though my, my logic was going, No! I, I was just like, yeah, that, that kind of works and does it for me. And I think that's the trap with mm. Friends. Mm-hmm. I think th- there are parts of it that are, are very uh, nostalgic... For, for a certain uh, group of people, certainly me, it, it was very formative uh, for me personally. My style of humor, again, Chandler Bing, hello, <laughs> and and I do think there are the moments where it is a very well written, funny, very well acted show, but it is just filled to the brim with all of these things that have not aged well in any way.
1: And when the writing is so good that it pulls at your heartstrings, it makes you really invested in the characters and the storylines that you're presenting, I think that you have a responsibility to, um, when you're getting people to, to root for these characters and you're not being critical of them through the, um, the storylines that are presented, I think you have an obligation to either right characters that are less trash or if you do have trash characters um, at least have some level of inherent criticism of that. And I don't think we ever see that. At no point is the show ever um, critical enough, I think, of, of Ross especially.
2: So, Mim, uh, after all of that do you think that our audience here tonight are going to rate or ruin Friends?
1: Um, I... I have a strong feeling one way over the other, but should we put it to our audience first?
2: Let, let's put it to our audience. Please, with with your most uh, audio-medium-friendly response possible, uh, who would like to rate Friends as a feminist work?
1: Crickets. Crickets. And if you, alongside myself, and most likely alongside Ellis Dolan, yes, would like yes. to ruin while still recognising its cultural significance and knowing that sometimes it is a pretty fun watch. If you would like to ruin Friends the 90s to 2000s sitcom, please give us your best audio friendly woo! Woo! That is the most joyful sound I've ever heard for somebody, you know, hating on hating something for its feminist d- merits.
2: Defin- I think that's the definitive answer. If you, are gonna, if you have listened to this and would like to go and watch Friends, don't do it all at once in the space <laughs> of like a month and a half. Space it out. It is, it's not bingeable anymore. I, it it, really, it gets, got to the point where I was just in pain, texting him being like, why am I still doing this to myself? It's for you. I did this for you. <laughs>
1: Now, Ellis. Um, yes, ma'am. I have one more question for you. Okay. I want to know what you would say to me if I came to you and said, Ellis, I need your help. The rain is falling. Yeah. We've been here before.
2: <laughs> I've said this up really poorly. <laughs>
1: Mim, I think <laughs> if
2: you were to come to me and, and said that nobody told you that life was going to be that's, this way. That's the
1: angle I should have taken. <laughs> there you
2: go. If, you, if, you, if you're in bed at 10 and work began at 8, I would say, hey, Mim, I'll be there that's for you.
1: That's beautiful. All right, folks. You please, knew it was coming. Uh, please join us for this final musical number. Uh, you know it. Sing along, clap along. Please do the claps.
2: You are obligated to do the claps. There is, like, I doubt there is anybody in history who's heard that song on the radio or anywhere and not done the claps.
1: Like, You're legally obliged. It's true. I should know. I went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> I'd write. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: All right, well, we're done.
3: So no one told you life was gonna be this way Your job's a joke, you're broke Your love year away. It's like you're always stuck in second gear When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month Or even your year But I'll be there for you
1: When the rain starts to pour I'll be there for you
3: You're there for me too You're still in bed at ten Work began at eight eight. You've burned your breakfast so far Things are going great Your mother warned you There'd be days like these But she didn't tell you When the world has brought you down to your knees But I'll be there for you for you, like I've been there before. I'll be be there for you, cause you're there for me too. Millicent Tsar with the bridge.
1: No one could ever know me, no one could ever see me. Seems you're the only one who knows. What it's like to be me Someone to face the day with Make it through all the rest with Someone I'll always laugh with Even in my worst time am best with you Alright folks, we're gonna take the lead line here We need you to jump in with the echo So like the When the rain starts to pour Like that's, that's you guys, you're responsible for that You wanna hear it nice and loud Uh, Make sure it's picked up on the mic down here. Counting on you. You got this.
3: It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. I'll be there for you. Be for I'll be there for you, I'll be there for you, you, cause you're there for me too. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you, because there for I'll be there for you. There for you. There for you. cause you're there for me too.
1: so much everybody that was you guys you were the star of that song uh please give it up for the lovely ellis dolan
3: and millicent
2: sar
1: and luke on lighting and sound
2: you guys have been wonderful thank you so much for for coming along for listening for letting us do this thing and uh we'll see you next week no no we won't we're not doing it live (laughs) Uh, honestly, thank you so much for coming. We, we had no idea how these live shows were going to turn out. We had yeah. two really wonderful, appreciative audiences, and, uh, and you guys were just amazing. It was so much fun to do. I can't yeah. wait to do it again.
1: Um, thank you so much, everybody. We will catch you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>